morning, Passion Family. <laughs> that sounded enthusiastic. I like that. It's such an honor to be in this room with all of you. For those that I haven't gotten the privilege of meeting yet, I am the kids pastor here at Passion Church, so I speak on behalf. Yeah, Passion Kids is the best team there ever was. For real, though, I speak on behalf of our entire team when I say to all the parents in the room, thank you for those of us, for those of you that give us the privilege of being in your kids' lives. I'm a big fan of our kids down that hallway. But I also speak on behalf of me when I say that Passion Kids has the most amazing team of volunteers that any church could ever ask for. And yes, I'm a little biased, but I'm also honest, and so nobody paid me to say that. Um, if you want to join this incredible team, um, come chat with me, even if you're like, I'm not so sure about being around a bunch of children. Y'all, there's all kinds of roles you can fill, um, and so we would love to have a conversation with you about that. Now, even though Pastor Steve wasn't able to be here this morning, I'm going to talk about him behind his back for just a minute, so Miss Jay, you can tell him what I said. I just want to have to take this opportunity to honor our pastors um, because they have been such a blessing in my life. They have loved our family so well and led this body so well. Anybody else thankful for our pastors? Show them some love. In case you didn't know, it's technically Pastor Appreciation Month, the month of October. So if you haven't yet, show them your appreciation and show them some love, whether it's through a financial gift, a card, or just telling them thank you for being obedient and serving Jesus. So... The last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Heroes versus what? Villains. Villains. Pastor Steve has been calling us out, right? He's been calling us to examine ourselves rather than just putting up with the mentality of this is just the way I am and this is just the way it'll be, right? He shared with us um, some good news found in Romans chapter 7, verse 25, and it says this. It says, thanks be to God who delivers me. Everybody say delivers. He delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Y'all know that when Jesus defeated the power of death, he came back from the grave holding a set of keys. You know what that means? If you got the keys to your car or to your house, that means you've got authority and you've got access. So Jesus holds all authority and all victory and he has been for thousands of years and continues to extend that authority and that victory to you and to me. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. Are you thankful for that this morning? This means that even though we've all got issues, you know that song? I got issues. You got them too. I have to do it every time I hear that word. I think of that song. Anyways, we've all got issues, but y'all, we've got no excuse. We've got no excuse to not obey Jesus. We've got no excuse to not surrender our lives to Jesus because he paid for it all. All we do is call on his name and he saves us. He sets us free. That means, y'all, we've got no excuse, not our past. That's no excuse. Our, our pain even that's no excuse. And our personality, anybody know the Enneagram? That whole thing that's like your personality, your number, anyways, it's a thing. And sometimes we'll say, well, that's just not in my personality, so I'm not gonna do that. Excuse me? No, 
It doesn't matter what, what our personality, our past is. God has given us everything we need, all authority, to be able to minister to others, to point people to Jesus, to rescue people out of the grips of hell and take them with us to the throne of grace. So help me preach to your neighbor and tell him this morning, you got no excuse. You got no excuse. <laughs> I don't know if y'all noticed, but the last couple of weeks, Pastor Steve has been talking a whole lot about Clark Kent. So I have made an educated guess that Superman is his favorite hero. Am I right, Ms. J? Probably. Well, since he got to talk about his favorite, I thought that I would talk about my favorite superhero. I have to say that I'm more of an Avengers fan than a DC fan, but let me clarify, I am a fan not a follower, therefore do not come and quiz me. I will not get the answers correct. I just like watching the movies, okay? Is that fine? And so out of the Avengers team, my favorite is the one and only Spider-Man. Anybody else? Okay, so I'm not alone. It's always nice to not be alone. But the reason why Spider-Man is my favorite is because he's just so unlikely. Like when you look at Peter Parker, um, you just don't expect for him to be a superhero, right? He's awkward, he's kind of weird, he's nerdy, but he's just eager to save people. He's willing to use his spidey power and rescue people from destruction and from danger, right? And so another thing about Spider-Man that I like is that um, he didn't care to be the chosen one. He just wanted to help. And um, if he could have it his way, Peter Parker actually preferred to remain a hidden hero. He didn't have to have his name in lights. And so this series has gotten me thinking. I think we all want to be a hero to somebody, right? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you want to be the hero in your home, in your family. Maybe you want to be the hero for your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors. But not all heroes get the spotlight, right? So, in fact, I think most of our personal heroes in this room, if we got to thinking about it, are not famous. Some of my heroes of the faith that lived on this earth thousands of years ago, and their stories are told in this, in this book right here, they were not given a cape, a stage, a title. Um, you wouldn't find them in the spotlight, but they were just willing, willing to obey God and be used by him to rescue others, to help others, to make an impact in other people's lives, right? So go with me to Judges chapter four. If you have your Bible with you, we're gonna be in Judges chapter four. If you don't, it'll be on the screen, hopefully. And we're gonna look at one of these hidden heroes, somebody that you wouldn't expect. <laughs> chapter four, and we're gonna start reading in verse number four. Y'all ready? Okay, three of you are. That's good. We'll go with that. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander 
commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Verse 8, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now skip down to verse 14. Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At... At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoim. These are some fun words. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Now go to verse 21. We're almost to the, to the finish line. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So, she, so he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple Dead. Wow, it got real dramatic real fast, right? If you ever thought that the Bible was not an exciting book to read, I, I don't know if you've read the whole thing because this story begs to differ. But also, if you're worried because you have kids down the hall, don't worry because they are not learning this story today, okay? <laughs> I am smarter than that here um, because I can just imagine what you learn in kids' church today how to kill people with a hammer and a tent peg. Okay, so here we have, um, besides the point, we have God's people, the Israelites, living underneath oppression, extreme oppression, because their own rebellion against God led to the removal of his hand of protection and the removal of his peace. Therefore, they're underneath a bad king, King Jabin, and the commander of his army, whose name was Sisera, I think that sounds like a pretty good villain's name if I say so myself. He was even worse because the Bible describes him as being an oppressive leader. In fact, his oppressiveness was so strong that this drove the Israelites to turn back to God. Now, it took them about 20 years because they're stubborn and hard-headed. Anybody else in the room? And thankfully, our God is so kind that because they called on his name, he turned back to them. He relented when they repented. And then he rescued them. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it's because this happened over and over and over and over again. When we read the Old Testament stories of how the Israelites were following God and then they rebelled. Then they repented and then God rescued them. Then they rebelled and then they repented and then God rescued them. Y'all, if that doesn't show the grace of our God, I don't know what does. But is anybody else thankful that he doesn't just forgive you once? He doesn't just forgive you twice. But that his mercy and his grace is new every single day. When we call on his name, he doesn't keep score. He doesn't keep count. Anybody else's spouse that is tempted to keep score. <laughs> Is it just me? Okay. 
But God is, he is such a good God and he's better than us, right? Because he's not a human. He's not a man. He's a perfect, holy God. And he is the one who has so much grace, it never runs out. It never runs dry. I could just go on and on about that because it gets me so excited about his mercy and his grace. Now, in order for them to be free from the oppression that they were underneath, this meant they'd have to go to battle. But once they did, it was guaranteed that if they just show up, they'd win. Because God already said, I've delivered the enemy into your hands. So just go. Go into battle. Now, Pastor Steve has been preaching the last couple weeks that it is our responsibility to engage in the battle that is within us. Y'all know there's a war within us. That war between your flesh and your spirit, meaning you know what's right, but you end up doing what's wrong like all the time, right? But also, I'm here today, I believe, to, to help us to see that there's also a battle against a true enemy who is a real villain in which all darkness comes from, and his name is Satan. The Bible says that Satan is working to still kill and destroy our lives. The Bible says that that the battle is not against other people, but it's against principalities. And that's demons. That's him. That's his crew. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion looking for whomever he may devour. The Bible also says that he is the father of lies. But good news is, is that the Bible also says, according to the book of Romans and the book of Revelation, that when we engage in this battle with Jesus as our commander, y'all, there is no power greater than Jesus. There is no name more powerful than Jesus. His name still saves. His name still casts out demons. So when we submit to him and we choose to give him our loyalty, and give him authority in our lives, then y'all, all we have to do is show up. And this says, we win. We win. And even if it's not on this side of eternity, you may still go, you may cross the finish line into eternity, into heaven, maybe still limping, maybe still sick, maybe still struggling, but the Bible lets us know that on the other side, there is victory. We receive a new glorious body and we reign with him forever and ever and ever. Isn't that awesome? So we have power. We have authority. We are just meant to show up. Just show up. What does showing up look like? What are you saying, Madeline? Well, it means in simple terms, turn on worship music and declare the praises of our God, even when you don't feel like it. It means opening this book up, which is described as the sword of the spirit. That's a weapon that we can use against the enemy. And you read it out loud. You meditate on it. You study it. You sing it. You say it. You, mem you memorize it, even when you're tired. Showing up looks like serving others, even when we're in a bad mood. And it looks like coming to church, where you can be surrounded by other spirit-filled believers and be vulnerable enough to ask somebody to pray for you. That's what it looks like to show up. Just some practical examples. And this battle, it's so important for us to engage in, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others, right? So for those of us who have a tendency to slip into that mentality, I'm safe because I'm saved, so I get to just go about life focused on me, me, and mine, right? 
then it's time for us to open our eyes, look around, and notice that there are still so many people around us that we come into contact with on a regular basis that are underneath extreme oppression and headed towards eternal destruction. If we don't seize those opportunities that we've been given to defeat the enemy for them, right? He's given us power to fight in our own lives, but he's also given us power to fight for others. So what if, practically speaking, during worship, the Holy Spirit tells you to dance? And maybe you're like me, and I was white as they come, and you can't dance. It don't matter, right? Because if the Holy Spirit's telling you to do that, maybe it's because he sees you need to get free. But also maybe because he sees that somebody else around you needs to get free. And your dancing, your response, your obedience to what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do could actually be engaging in battle for somebody else who is underneath extreme oppression and aisle behind you, right? So that's just talking about here at church. But showing up and engaging in battle outside these doors also looks like praying for somebody that's wearing a cast because you see that there's a need. And you say, hey, I believe in a God that can heal. Can I pray for you? And even if their leg doesn't get healed in that instant, what if it's the love of God that they feel during your prayer that captures their heart and their imagination and they're drawn to this one who gives hope and then they're set free because you just decided to obey. Those are just examples, but the Holy Spirit can guide us to do all kinds of crazy cuckoo things, y'all. It doesn't always make sense. But once again, just showing up to battle. When God says, I've already delivered the enemy into your hands, don't worry, just get there. Does that make sense? No. That's the beauty of our God. He does the work. He does the hard stuff. He just asks us to show up, to be available and looking at this story, we, we just read, it's important for us to notice that there are two main characters. Did you catch their names? I'll give you a hint. One starts with B, Barak. And the other one? Well, Deborah was the prophet, but Jael was the other one. Her name was Jael, and she was a hidden hero. Because the Bible doesn't give us details about this woman at all, really. But we do know that she was not the commander. She was not even in the army. She was not a prophet or a priest. In fact, Barak was the one who had the title, right? He was the commander of the army. But Jael was in the right place at the right time. The enemy was drawn to her tent by no coincidence. It was no accident that she was the hero of this story because Jael was the wife of a man who had formed an alliance with the king. So Sisera thought, oh, I can come to this woman's tent because I'm safe here. Joke's on him, right? Um, but he thought wrong. And there's something we need to learn from her, from Jael. In order to be a godly hero or someone that God can use to rescue others from this oppression that we're talking about today, someone that God can use to help others fulfill their God-given purposes on the earth, we don't need a platform. We just need to be positioned. Because Barack had the platform, but JL was in the right place at the right time. So if you're believing the lie that God can't use you and that you can't be a hero in someone's life or to impact someone else's story because you don't have a certain platform or because you don't have a certain title or you don't have a certain job description, then you're wrong. You may not be the CEO, the top dog, the leader, the pastor, the one in charge, but what if you're in the job you're in, not just for the sake of yourself, 
but for the sake of others? What if you're in the neighborhood you're in, not just for the sake of yourself and your family, but for the sake of others? What if you're in the family you're in, the church you're in, the city you're in, because God positioned you there in advance. And he saw, I need her there at the right time. This is the right place because the enemy is gonna make his way into Oklahoma City, into Bethany, into Yukon, and I need them to be positioned here so that others can be set free from his oppression, right? It's time that we started asking God, if we haven't already, God, why do you have me here? And some of us have asked that question before, but we're in a new season of life. Maybe we've moved into a new neighborhood. It's time for us to ask that question again and wait for a response. He may bring people's names to your mind. He may show you what he wants you to be praying for. He may give you a specific task that isn't isn't even in your job description. But y'all, we don't live on this earth just to make money, right? We don't live on this earth just to have a happy life. We live on this earth to worship our God, to bring him glory. And then we get, once we're set free, we get to draw others with us to the throne of grace, right? And so it's also time that some of us ask God, am I even in the right place? Like, did I move to this place because I wanted to, because I thought it was pretty? I wanted to be safe. But, but, to, but to open our hands and say, God, I give you all my positions, all my, all my roles and responsibilities, and I ask you to reposition me if you see necessary. That may mean he asks you to quit your job and move to a new one. Ouch. But he could. It may mean that he leads you down a certain path that wasn't in your plan. But it's time that we started thinking about others not just ourselves, because if you pay attention, JL was safe. If she and her husband had an alliance with the king, that meant that they were like special, special privilege, special protection. So she wasn't just doing this, I believe, for herself. She did this so that her people could get set free. Isn't that amazing? That's what made her a hero. So if you haven't called it yet, I think it'll be on the screen. If you're taking notes, I want you to hear this one more time. Godly heroes need to be positioned, not put on a platform. So tell your neighbor, you don't need a platform. You don't need a platform. Come on, tell them. Gotta wake up. I'll tell your other neighbor, you just need to be positioned. (laughs) So Barak had favor because he was the chosen one by God, and he was commissioned by Deborah, to lead in battle. And because of his platform, he had followers. But his response to Deborah was what? Did anybody catch it? If you'll go, I'll go. But I ain't going by myself. Right? You ever been that person? Some people can't even go to the bathroom by themselves. Lord help us. But Deborah's response was, well then, you're not going to be the one that gets the honor or the credit for this victory, somebody else will. And something that amazes me about God is that he doesn't have to use us, he just chooses to. Anybody else thankful to be wanted by the God of the universe? Yeah, but if you don't say yes to him, no condemnation, but he will just use somebody else because he loves his people that much. He doesn't need you, he just wanted to use you. And so, A couple quick examples, Billy Graham, who I believe is one of the greatest evangelists of all time, he made a statement that he fully is convinced, fully believes that he was God's second choice. 
He believes it was his roommate in college that was supposed to be the one. He had the personality. He had, he had it all. But he chose to go a different route and chose to pursue a life of just building his own kingdom, basically. So Billy told God, I saw the potential in him. So if you want to use me, I'm willing. Look where he ended up. Look how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of souls were rescued. Because he said, I mean, I'll go if you want me to. And then Gladys Allward, who was a missionary to China in the early 1900s, she's known for rescuing a large group of orphans and leading them to safety during a war. She's quoted saying this, I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done in China, and I don't know who it was. It must have been a man, a well-educated man, and I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys and said, well, she's willing. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about Jael, but it does give us her name. And there's a couple different meanings to this name, and one of, one of them comes from a root word that I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it means to be useful. Everybody say useful. So I tell you what, we as humans tend to be impressed by a person's personality or their beautiful performance and we'll clap and we'll shout for those people. But I think that God claps and is impressed by the ones who are just plain old useful. The ones who just show up and say, God, I'm willing if you wanna use me. But what makes somebody useful to the kingdom of God? I think the ultimate thing, we could go on and on, but the ultimate thing is the person who has faith. So that leads to my second and final point today, that godly heroes need to be faithful, not famous. Faithful, faithfulness is what God's looking for. Someone whose faith in him and his ability to deliver and come through when he speaks. Someone whose faith in him is real. For James tells us that faith without works is what? Dead. That means we, faith provokes us to do something. Right, So we can sing and shout all day long about how God can never fail and how we built our lives upon his love and how he's our rock and how we won't be moved. But if our life has no actions to back up our words, James beckons the question, is your faith even alive? Hebrews chapter 11 is a popular chapter in the Bible. And it's filled with one person after another that are like these unlikely heroes that God could use. And you know, they had a lot of things not in common. In fact, there was one woman in there named Rahab who, uh, she had been a prostitute. And yet, she made it in this list. Why? The one thing they all had in common. Can you guess? Faith. 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 That is attractive to our God. That is what says, hmm, I'll take her. He'll work. She'll do. Just somebody that has faith. And Jesus said, doesn't you have to be a lot? It can be the size of a mustard seed. You know how tiny a mustard seed is? If I was holding one right now, you wouldn't be able to see it. You need like a magnifying glass because it's real small. And he said, those with the faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. That's what God's looking for. Somebody with just a little bit of faith. So everybody, help me preach to your neighbor one more time. Tell him, stop trying to be famous. Stir up your faith. Stir up your faith. Now, maybe you're not aiming for fame, but you're looking for the favor of others. I'll be honest. That's something I struggle with. But hear the word of the Lord this morning, speaking through a good old Mississippi accent, saying, it ain't necessary. 
It ain't necessary. You do not need everybody to clap for you. You do not need people to even like you. You don't need people to follow you. You just need faith. Faith that moves you to action. (laughs) So this morning, I have to tell you two of my up-close and personal heroes that are not famous at all. They've never been placed on a high platform. Um, They're my parents. And they were never lead pastors at a church, but they are the most committed and gifted church volunteers I have ever seen. Um, They taught me what it looks like to serve God, not for money, not for applause, but just because we love them. Neither of my parents are influencers on social media. Like my dad probably couldn't even spell the word Instagram. He's probably never seen it. But they had a huge influence in my life. Because there was a time when I felt like my prayers were hitting the ceiling and I went to my dad and he gently placed his hands on my head and he just earnestly prayed for me and he patiently taught me and sat down with me and said, Madeline, faith isn't based off feelings, it's a choice. My mom taught me what it looks like to build an altar at home. She showed me that an altar is not just necessary in church buildings, you need it next to your bed. You need it in your living room. And she showed me that through her prayer life. She's one of the quietest women I know and never seeks a spotlight. But she's made a difference in not just my life, but many lives as a school teacher. They taught me, even through a painful situation that we faced in a church, what forgiving and forgetting actually means, no matter how deep words and actions can cut. They taught me what it looks like to leave somewhere well, not in a hurry, and not angry. They weren't top dogs or head leaders, but they remained faithful in the positions that God put them in. And they remained faithful to him even when things got hard. I wanna be like that. But they aren't the only hidden heroes. I believe there's a lot in this room. So a verse that came to my mind while reading this story, and this is what I'll close with, is Isaiah chapter 49, verse two. So if we have that, could we put it up on the screen so everybody can see? It says, God made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. I believe that there are many people on this earth, many people in this church family, that God is currently sharpening and polishing like an arrow. Y'all, what's an arrow? It's a weapon. It's a weapon. It's a beautiful and really cool type of weapon because that means that when you shoot that arrow, you can aim it towards somebody at a far distance. So as an arrow in the Lord's quiver, that means that we are like a weapon that he can pull out, that he can position, that he can aim, and then eventually release or send out to a place where the enemy is lurking and working. And when he sends us somewhere, y'all, when you walk into Walmart, when you walk into your workplace, when you step into your home, when you are walking in step with the spirit, you're like an arrow being released where you begin wreaking havoc on the kingdom of darkness and you don't even fully know. You're not even fully aware of what you're doing. 
But when you walk in faith and you speak in faith and you pray in faith, even when it's a little, and when you show up to the position you know God put you in and you just try to do your best, He works, He moves, and the enemy flees. He does. When you sing, even if it's not a pretty sound, God don't care. And it scares Satan. It does. I've literally seen Satan leave somebody's body. I'm not saying that I saw it, like that I saw a demon. I'm saying I saw the evidence of one. Just because we said, I command you to leave this person alone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I was trembling and my knees were shaking, but I had a little bit of faith, enough to speak it out loud and not just tolerate his work, and not just tolerate his oppression. So if you're tired of tolerating the oppression of the enemy and you wanna be like an arrow, hidden, the Bible says hidden in his quiver. You know why he hides? He hides his people He protects us from the spotlight for protection, for preparation, and then because he sees that secret weapons are actually really important and valuable to the kingdom of heaven. So once again, if you wanna be a weapon, an arrow hidden in his quiver and saying, God, I'm willing, if you wanna use me whenever, today, tomorrow, few years, position me, would you just stand with me? And go ahead and you can lift your hands if you want to or hold them out as a sign of surrender and begin praying with me and surrendering everything to him. God, we give you all our positions. We give you all our roles. We give you all our responsibilities. We give you our role as a parent. We give you our role as a spouse. We give you our role and our responsibility in the job that we're in and the profession that we're pursuing. Even as a student, God, we give you this and we say, use us where we are. But God, we also ask that if we're in the wrong place and you want us to be somewhere else, if you'd rather us be in another nation, if you'd rather us be in another neighborhood, if you'd rather us be in another job, God, I ask that you would stir up our hearts right now and that you would speak to us in the way that only you can. God, I ask that you'd speak to the depths of our heart and reposition us. Come on, pray out loud. Let him hear your voice. Something happens when we pray out loud. It like stirs up your own faith. It solidifies things. God, let your will be done in our lives. Don't say it if you don't mean it, but if you do and you don't even have words, just lift up your hands and say, God, use me. Reposition me. I surrender to you. I'm tired of tolerating the work of the enemy here in the United States. I'm tired of tolerating the work of the enemy in our world. I'm tired of tolerating the work of the enemy in my family. I'm tired of tolerating the work of the enemy in my own life. So I just say, God, position me where you want me. Have your will, God. And now we're just gonna take like one or two more minutes and we need to stir up our faith. And we, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So I've asked the team to lead us in this song once again, even in just a part of that song. And I want you to sing out loud, even if it doesn't sound pretty. If everybody sings, nobody can hear each other. Right. So sing out loud. 
or pray out loud or shout out loud and see if your faith doesn't start rising up within you so that when you walk out of here, you can be useful. Christ is my food.